There's an oriental legend that tells of a desert traveler who one night met fear and plague going to Baghdad where they expected to kill 10,000 people. The traveler asked plague if he would do all the killing and plague answered, oh no, I shall kill only a few hundred and my friend fear will kill the others. For the most part, we try to avoid fear, and yet it plagues us, perhaps during Advent more than any other season. But I wonder if our fears could be misplaced. We may fear that our friends or family won't like the gifts we buy them, or fear that we don't have enough to pay for our Christmas presents that we want to buy, or even fear that our children will feel entitled to the gifts around the tree instead of appreciating them. Assuming chapter 11 of Isaiah was written in the 6th century B.C., the nation of Assyria had been inhabiting Israel. We've heard of the scorched earth policy when an army will destroy anything that might aid its enemies, and that's an image that may be before us when we imagine a stump of Jesse. Perhaps it was a great tree near the village that provided shade for the people to gather and commune after a day out working, but now it looks charred and lifeless. Fear reigns that life is over for this tree. And then metaphorically, in Isaiah, for this nation. Isaiah, in this prophecy from chapter 11, names the stump Jesse, the name of King David's father. And while King David dealt with temptations, he and his son Solomon were the best kings in Israel's history. They looked back on the glory days when David and Solomon ruled. But now the tree has been cut down. The hope of a return to those glory days has been axed. Have you ever felt lifeless like a stump? Sometimes we feel at different stages in our lives that Vitality and strength and hope have been stripped from us, and we are nothing but a stump. But instead of being that stump, let's walk around that stump, that charred, lifeless, cut-off object. And as we plod around it, remembering sadly how great things used to be, we come around to the backside. And on the backside of the tree, we discover that while the tree looks dead on the outside, its appearance has deceived us. A tiny greenish brown shoot is standing at attention around back. And as we watch, like time lapse photography, the shoot grows taller and thicker and becomes a branch. If the stump's name is Jesse, 
The branch will be a strong and caring leader in the mold of Jesse's son, King David. He shall be different from the recent and failed leaders in this way, according to Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Isaiah says of this shoot that grows from the stump of Jesse, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Now, can you delight in your fears? To me, that almost sounds crazy to think about delighting in our fears. Dr. H.A. Ironside tells a story about one time when his oldest son taught him a lesson. The oldest son was little at the time. It was before his brother came, and so Ironside said he had to be his brother, and so he was playing with him. And there was nothing that his son liked to do better than to play bear. They would fix up some chairs in the corner with a little opening like a cave. And so the bear, the dad, would be inside the cave, and then the boy would be just walking around like nothing else was happening, and the bear would creep out of the cave, getting ready to chase the boys, and he would growl. And then the son would come running toward him, and then he was tripping along as if though there was nothing to fear. And, of course, the bear was big and clumsy, and he had difficulty in running the little fellow down. But the last time they played bear, the boy ran right into a corner. And so there he was with the face in the corner. He was excited, and the bear was right there on him. And these things seemed so real to little kids, so he was screaming in his excitement. So here was the bear, his hot breath, about to grab him and devour him. And suddenly, the little boy stopped screaming. And he ran right into his father's arms, and he said, I ain't afraid, not a bit afraid. You're not a bear at all. You're my own papa. And his dad picked him up, and they walked up and down, and he said his He could feel his son's heart beating like a trip hammer. And he was just sobbing in his father's arms. And the father thought, we will never play this game again. But the little boy kept saying, Papa, I'm not afraid anymore. And all of a sudden, Dr. Ironside understood something about his relationship with God. And so he prayed, oh, God, That is just the way I once was. I was running away from you. I was treating you as though you were my enemy, as though the worst thing in the world would be to be brought into communion with you. And he concluded the prayer, Thank you for running me down. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. One writer noted that fears are vital to sane, useful living. And he quotes the Keswick calendar. 
We cannot live either our natural or our spiritual life without fear. A man will never be a first-rate surgeon unless he fears infection and sterilizes his instruments. A child will never be fit to live alone until she fears to throw a lighted match into the wastebasket. A man will never be a successful builder until he fears to put one rotten timber into his house, nor a successful Christian until he fears to put one rotten thought into his character. And so we may learn that fear is healthy, but does that mean that we can delight in it? So let's jump forward 600 years to John the Baptist. You want something to fear? Picture John the Baptist. He's worth fearing. He eats locusts, grasshoppers maybe, and and maybe they taste better when you dip them in wild honey. But it's, it's still not that appetizing. So he has this strange diet, and he has this strange clothing. Most people are wearing fabric at the time, and here comes John in the hide of a camel that's held onto him by some other creature's hide around his waist. He's belted. And not just the way he looks, but what he's doing. I mean, Jerusalem is the place to be. It's the place to go. And yet, John has eschewed Jerusalem, and he's gone out over into the wilderness. And not only John then leaves the city and the towns, but bunches of other people do. They flock to hear John in the wilderness. How strange. John does not care for the Jewish and Roman politics. He doesn't care about pleasing people. He doesn't care whether his words or his diet or his smell offend people. He doesn't care what we think of him. John is courageous enough to have escaped the shackles of cultural expectation and now devotes his life to preparing the way of the Lord. And so in droves, people are leaving Jerusalem and other towns to step into the wilderness to hear him. Why would someone leave the comfort of his or her own home to go into the wilderness to hear this wild, bizarre preacher talking about turning around their lives? Weren't they fearful of what this change would mean? In the Chronicles of Narnia, the allegory by C.S. Lewis, the author has two girls, Susan and Lucy, getting ready to meet Aslan the lion, who represents Christ in the books. There are two talking animals with them, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and they are preparing the children for their encounter with Aslan. And Susan says, the older of the two, Oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, 
said Mrs. Beaver, and make no mistake, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. And Lucy says, then he isn't safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And like Susan and Lucy, so many of us crave safety. We would be happier to sit on our charred stump, and if we see that shoot growing up out of it, we go get the pruning shears and cut it off. But here we are in Advent, a season for us to open ourselves to new things. We open ourselves to John the Baptist's call for repentance and change. And isn't that why people flocked to receive John's message of repentance and even judgment and be baptized? Deep down, they were weary. They were weary of the rut they were in. They were weary of the safety of their lives. And they saw in him something different, something they wanted They needed this voice of hope, and they were relieved to hear that God was holding them accountable for using well the gift of life. Not long ago, several of us were talking about how we thought the will of God was some pencil-thin path we had to walk to make God happy. And if we strayed just one inch off that path, it might mean a lifetime of unhappiness. All of us, thank God, have matured out of that stage to realize that that kind of fear is not the reverent respect that God seeks. There's a memorial in Westminster Abbey with one simple and noble thought on the monument of Lord Lawrence. It has his name the date of his death, and these words. He feared man so little because he feared God so much. He feared man so little because he feared God so much. What one step might you take this season as you prepare to receive Christ? What might you do to show that you fear God more than people? What shackles might fall away if you exchanged safety for fear? And consider these questions for our church as well. What might we do as a congregation of Christ to show that we fear God more than people? And what shackles might fall away from us if we exchanged safety for fear of the Lord? That which was said of Lord Lawrence could be said of Isaiah and John the Baptist and Jesus. He feared man so little because he feared God so much. Perhaps one day the same will be said of us. Let's pray.
Help us, O God, to address our fears. And help us to fear you. Lord, we have trouble with this reverent and holy fear. And yet we pray that that might enter, that awe might enter our lives as we recognize again the power of your love, of your holiness, of your gifts of life, and of your gift of your Son. Continue to prepare us to receive him and welcome him in holiness, in fear, in awe, and in thanksgiving. We pray in his holy name. Amen.